Welcome to Know Thy Trauma, a podcast by Wellspring Solutions Counseling Services. We are a group practice of licensed professional counselors who are dedicated to helping people heal the loss and trauma that is part of the human experience. The content in today's episode could be potentially triggering, so please use discretion as you listen. If you find yourself triggered, we encourage you to pause it, engage in something that soothes you, and return when you're ready. And as always, we encourage you to seek out your own therapy if needed. Hi. Welcome to Know Thy Trauma. I'm Sharon Wegman. I'm Kayla Cedar. And today we're going to be talking about we need to know thy defense mechanisms. And it's so important for us to understand them because I don't think most people recognize a lot of the things that they do mm-hmm. are defense mechanisms. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what is a defense mechanism? So a defense mechanism is... Something that we do to defend ourselves, right? Yes. So, it's a little, it can be as easy as that, but it's a little bit more complicated. Um, yeah, I was going for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, let's talk about the complicated part of it. Defense mechanism. What happens and how do I respond when something feels unsafe? So, when something around me um, is triggering me and I'm having a trauma response, how do I defend myself? How am I managing myself in that moment so that I can reestablish as close to safety as um, I possibly can? And we thought that it was important to talk about this trailing after the Inner Child podcast because we talked about quite a bit about where these things came from and understanding that what we learned in early childhood may not be benefiting us in our adulthood. So looking at how these things may be showing up practically. Absolutely. Because what happens is children don't have the ability to verbalize boundaries, Mm -hmm. say no, advocate for self in many situations. Some situations they do. But In many situations, they don't have that, and so they're the ones who develop these defense mechanisms, coping mechanisms that they have to use to be able to process the pain that they Mm -hmm. deal with. So I I differentiate a defense mechanism is is pretty much a coping mechanism. Or do you say something different? I think they're so closely aligned. How do you differentiate them? Well, I mean, I think a defense mechanism is to protect self. And the coping mechanism is how I cope with anything hard. Mm -hmm. Now, some of them can be very healthy coping Mm -hmm. mechanisms, but then we can have very unhealthy coping mechanisms. Yes. Yes. So, like, deep breathing would be a healthy Mm -hmm. coping mechanism and screaming and slamming the door and running away. Unhealthy coping mechanism. For sure. (laughs) But kind of doing the same thing, Mm -hmm. taking space. It just reacts differently with the people you actually engage with. Mm -hmm. And and the defense mechanisms really do affect your success in life. Oh, yeah. With people and self. Absolutely. How do you differentiate? Very similar. To what you said. So coping skills, I always look at how do, how am I managing? So coping is just, it doesn't have to be good, bad, anything. We try not to even put good or bad labels on much of what we do. It's, is this helpful or unhelpful? Is this healthy or unhealthy? So I would say maybe would it be safe to say that defense mechanisms are more times than not fall in the unhealthy 
range where coping skills can go back and forth between this is helpful and unhelpful. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So very similar kind of fall on a continuum of healthy versus not healthy. Yes. I would say so. Right. And so how we develop them, which we talked about a little bit so far, is Mm -hmm. basically anything that happens to us, zero, remember we've talked about this in the past, zero to three is how we attach. Mm Mm-hmm. And zero to 12 is how, when, when we develop our worldview, I'm going to bump that up to like 15 ish Mm -hmm. because we have traumatic experiences all through teenage years Mm -hmm. that impact how we perceive the world. But our worldview is basically established at age 12. Mm -hmm. So basically anything that happens under the age of 12 to 15, we didn't have a lot of power at that point in time. No. And so we had to develop coping mechanisms to deal with hard things that we had no adults helping us with. Yes. Um, I just had that. We just recently on our social medias, we're on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I put on there about how trauma only impacts a child in, in a very extreme way when there is not a nurturing parent present, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And so when we think about coping mechanisms, lots of times there are not parents that are helping their child deal with hard things. Mm-hmm. Whether they're small traumas or big traumas, they're not nurturing and caring. They're just saying, shove it down, move forward. Mm-hmm. You're okay. Yes. So a lot of that attunement and affirming and some of those things that we discussed in earlier podcasts too, they're, they're missed in that moment. And the child was left to figure it out on their own. Yeah. And their brain does not have analytical thought. No. So they have had to develop very strong coping mechanisms because they can't think out why this is happening. And so that's where these defense mechanisms kick in. Um, and that's how they develop. Let's talk about the three main types. Do you want to start with powerlessness? Mm-hmm. So well, we're looking at three major emotional reactions, right? Or yeah. three major, not necessarily emotional reactions. What word am I looking for? Um, we could even call them like agreements or mm-hmm. um, reactions to things that we are experiencing in the present that remind us of the past. So we're going to be looking at three major ones, the first of which is powerlessness. So what do I do when I feel powerless? Um, and we look at a spectrum of we can either become more controlling over what's going on to try to defend ourselves and reestablish safety or we numb mm-hmm. to try to reestablish safety. So maybe the controlling looks like um, fawning, trying to um, people please, trying to control the environment around us. Maybe it's um, every time I get triggered, I do excessive cleaning. Every time I get triggered, I get hypercritical of the people in my house. Um, and I'm trying to reestablish control so that I can reestablish some sense of power because I feel so powerless. The other half of that would be numbing. 
Um, so maybe when I feel powerless in order to feel safe again, I completely check out. Um, maybe we check out by watching a lot of TV or playing video games or being on our phone. Um, drugs, alcohol, work, all of these things can really prevent us from feeling that powerless feeling. So what happens is that child who is powerless due to whatever situation has occurred, mm -hmm. their go-to was television. Their go-to was food. Their go-to was, I'm going to go um, clean my room and organize it. Mm -hmm. What, or maybe excessive talking or mm -hmm. whatever. Their go-to was that. And so now as adults, they still do those things. Yes. So I often say to people, Sometimes you won't know what you're feeling, but your behavior will tell you you're triggered. Yes. And so when we're looking at, I need a sudden, I have a sudden need to organize all the drawers in my bureau, that's because uh, something's triggering me and I want to not feel powerless in this mm -hmm. situation. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, I am doing a lot of numbing, that means I'm triggered. Yes. What just happened? Um, what's the feeling that I can't deal with? Yes. Because it's not the feeling of powerlessness that most people have. Maybe they have anger and they can't express it, or um, grief and they can't express it, or shame and they can't mm -hmm. express it to a safe person. It's not that they feel powerless. Yes. They usually feel another feeling, um, but they can't do anything with it. Yes. So what is it that is making me feel powerless? What yes. is What is beneath that that I am trying to avoid? Absolutely. That's where that comes from. And it's not that because most people, particularly men, when I say you feel powerless, no, I don't feel powerless. And I'm like, mm -hmm. do you feel angry? Well, yes, but you can't do anything with that anger. Yes. Oh, so you're powerless with your anger. Yes. Then they get it. But regular sense of powerlessness, that's hard to get someone to, particularly a male, mm. to identify. Yes. Because that would be emasculating for them to identify sure. that in themselves. So it's hard for them to recognize powerlessness. Okay, so let's talk about ambivalence, which is a big word, mm -hmm. but very common for our world. We just don't use it in daily language. No. Unless we're therapists. <laughs> <laughs> so, so ambivalence means I have two conflicting emotions at the exact same time. And this happens when at the exact same time I love my mommy or my daddy as a child is the exact same time they hurt me. They make me angry. They make me sad. And so ambivalence is I don't know what I should feel. Yes. Because I have two conflicting emotions at the exact same time. This person takes care of me and they're harming me. This person loves me and then they're doing abuse. This person is negligent but then they're engaging. Mm -hmm. It's this mixed message that happens throughout the childhood. So ambivalence is, I don't know what I should feel. Yes. So on one end of the spectrum, it's very impulsive. Um, doing impulsive behavior with a big feeling, it might be self-harm. Um, and in this situation, maybe big life changes. Uh, maybe suddenly you're like, 
you're suddenly changing jobs, you're suddenly mm-hmm. moving, you're suddenly doing a big thing because you don't know how to process the ambivalence that you feel. Um, and that can even go to, please, tattoo people don't write us, but <laughs> we all have tattoos here. It's fine. The idea is sometimes somebody will suddenly need to go do it mm-hmm. as their impulsive need to somehow establish a feeling with their actual body. Yes. With their actual body, which is why cutting might happen. Random sex might happen. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to feel, so I use my body to feel. And then on the other end of the spectrum, um, I freeze. I do a lot of passiveness, uh, avoidance, um, to pl- or try to please other people mm-hmm. just to get myself out of that space of, I don't know how I feel about this person, but I'm going to do something to please them, and now I'll feel okay about them. Mm-hmm. I would say that this one's the most difficult. Yes, to recognize because most people don't understand that they do feel wishy-washy. Mm-hmm. And will know that they have ambivalence when they're when they label a feeling and then they immediately gift wrap it by saying, "Yeah, but they didn't." Yeah. Exactly. And I think there's just especially when naming ambivalence with a parent um or a spouse or with even your own child, there's um a lot of shame in naming the negative side of that. Yes. And I find that too with when I'm working with people to name their ambivalences. Oh yeah, they really hurt me, but I know why. So it's okay. Like they Mm -hmm. didn't, they didn't mean to, they didn't this. And it's, you know, as well-intentioned as the parent may be as well-intentioned as anyone can be, can two things be true at the same time. And I really think that coming to terms and accepting the fact and making peace with the fact that two things can be true at the same time is very challenging. Yes. Very hard, especially, you know, when we think of different coping mechanisms or or defense mechanisms, not in here, but like black or white thinking, like all or nothing thinking. It's, it has to be this or it has to be that. No wonder it's so confusing when we feel more than one thing at at a time. Right. So I think how we address it is we just keep trying to point them back. Okay, that was a bad thing that just happened and you just wrapped it up. And how I explain it to my clients is it's crap that just happened and you're wrapping it up and it's still crap. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It might look okay at the moment, but it still stinks. (laughs) So what happened is still, it's still there. Absolutely. So um, that's, that's how we identify ambivalence is when people have a need to make excuses Mm -hmm. for or rewrap it. Yes. And now everybody will have that thought in their head. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else tied to ambivalence, but I hope we uh, hope we understand that again. You're not going to feel ambivalent. You're going to feel angry then not angry. You're going to feel sad then not sad because mm-hmm. you're making excuses for the feeling mm-hmm. that's negative. Yeah. And it's a very common emotion and most people don't recognize it but you will recognize it by the behavior. And and I think that is a big one, recognizing the behavior. I even think, too, like, even outside of, like, feeling sometimes des- 
do, would you say that desires can be ambivalent too? Like at the same time that I feel obligated to, um, I'm holding myself to this unrealistic standard of being a mother. I want to admit that motherhood is hard at the same time that I want to be a good wife. I can't stand my husband at the same time that I want to, um, you know, please others. I'm feeling exhausted. So oh, yes. a lot of the, um, desires to want to uh people please and while trying to preserve self it's that feels very confusing too sure like i want to be loved mm-hmm. i want to engage with a, the, a person um boyfriend in a loving way but when he gets too close i need him to push away because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel safe mm-hmm And that's because of our own ambivalence from our own childhood. So sometimes we repress a lot of really good things Mm -hmm. because we don't know how to protect ourselves. So that's that freeze response. I want this, but when I get it or I get close to it, I freeze up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Our defense mechanisms can protect us from amazing things. Amazing things. Amazing things that feel very, very scary because of they weren't safe before. Or they're completely foreign to us. True. We haven't experienced it. This feels uncomfortable. Uncomfortable Mm -hmm. is wrong. Actually, uncomfortable is usually right. Yes. (laughs) uh, And so that's a mind-blowing statement. But if it's uncomfortable, you're usually moving towards the right direction. Mm -hmm. Because if it's comfortable, that means you're replaying the script. Yes. That you've always operated in. And like we've established, the comfortability that we're talking about isn't necessarily a good feeling. No. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a cozy, comfortable feeling. It's a familiar, comfortable feeling. Yeah, I'll just share. I'm going to share a personal story about that because I was I'm working on this coaching program Mm. that's teaching me how to do more online programs and I finally like narrowed down what my topic was Mm. and the second I narrowed it down is the second I felt like oh I don't know Mm -hmm. like and and so I have to respond to my coach and say this is what I think it is but now I'm second guessing it and he's like why are you second guessing it well I took a couple days to answer and I'm like I'm second guessing it because Anytime I do something new, it feels a little uncomfortable, Yes. right? And so I said, for the rest of this coaching period, you will experience that with me. I will, I will say it and then I'll pull back. But if you give me a day or so, I'll be okay. Yes. <laughs> right. So that's a good example of what that ambivalence could do. It could sabotage mm. good movement because mm-hmm. it felt uncomfortable to make a big statement and then, oh, I got to pull that back. That yes. feels uncomfortable. So it can really sabotage good. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that word because I thought of it earlier and then it left my brain. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. All right, Kayla, let's, why don't you talk about contempt? So the last one is contempt. So when we're talking about contempt, we're talking about what comes from abandonment, shame, invalidation, rejection. So this, when we look at the spectrum, we focus on others so we can have contempt towards others being hypercritical, accusatory, demeaning, um, or we can become um, hateful towards our own self. Um, so focusing on um, our own shame, shaming our own self, being hypercritical of ourself, um, being our more critical of our own self than anybody else would. Um, 
I always like to ask when when I'm working with clients and they start talking poorly about themselves, it's like, who else do you talk to like that? Mm. Oh, no one. No, of course you don't talk to anybody like that. Oh, my word. Mm. No, you would never talk to yourself or talk to others the way that you talk to yourself. I'm so recognizing that. And again, um, it may not, like, like we were pointing out with the other ones, it may not actually be the contempt that we're feeling. It's, it's that abandonment. So I'm feeling abandoned in this moment. Um, I'm feeling shameful in this moment. I'm feeling invalidated. I'm feeling rejected. Yes, yes. <clears throat> and then that self, so go, go back to that self-hate. I was mm-hmm. thinking to myself that I feel like I explain it to my clients to say, you beat yourself up so much that nobody else on the face of the earth can hurt you. Absolutely. And your beating yourself up of your mistake protects you from the rejection. Yes. And and it's interesting because I've worked with clients and maybe some of our listeners can um, relate to this of we're looking, we're, we're so determined to find that rejection from others because it's so we've come into such close agreement with I'm a rejectable person I'm an unworthy person that if somebody isn't rejecting us we will kind of flip the narrative of questioning their intentions and then we reject ourselves and uh before they can reject us or yes. we or we reject ourselves on behalf of the other person despite the fact that they weren't rejecting us at all. Yeah. Right. So then even on on that when we're focusing on others' faults, mhm we're fo- we're being critical, we're being um fault finding, we're focusing mm-hmm. on their faults and we're rejecting them yes. before. So you only they only did this because Right. They were looking for something in return. Oh, they they must have had other plans. Every other plan must have fallen through. That's the only reason why they reached out to me. Um, and again, we so we reject them. Oh, yes. It's it's a really it's a really cycle based coping mechanisms are very cycle cycles of agreement based. Mm-hmm. They get right in there and they put us right back into the cycle again. Mm -hmm. And our job is to identify these six ways that um, you'll see on the chart when you get it. And when we identify it to say, okay, what's the feeling here? Because sometimes they don't know the feeling, but they know the behavior. Yes. I I think um, sometimes I like to outline it with clients with... um, what what was happening what was your behavior what were your thoughts and what was happening inside of your body and helping people figure out sometimes one is more we have more natural awareness of than another so once we're able to pick one and identify that and outline it we're then able to trace it through and um identify the other aspects yeah it's yeah, it's a powerful chart. All right, so let's talk about how we recognize the defense mechanisms that are a problem, and how do we how do we name them, recognize them, and change them? I mean, my six are if there's control or numbness, 
in some way, mm -hmm. I'm naming it, mm -hmm. for powerlessness. Mm -hmm. If there's impulsive behavior or freezing, I'm naming it ambivalence. Mm -hmm. And if it, there's a focus on others' faults and self-hate, I'm naming it some type of contempt. Yes. Um, so in that naming process, again, there, this is kind of involved, but in that naming process, we are trying to back ourselves out of that behavior. So when I shared that story about my business coach saying, where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had to back up that behavior that I did, which was, eh, no, it's not really the topic. I don't know. I'm second guessing <laughs> myself. When he named it, why are you questioning yourself? I was able to say, oh, I was freezing mm -hmm. because I had the ambivalence of moving towards this amazing topic and scared of it at the exact same time. Yes. Right? So when he questioned, where is this coming from? I had to go back in and say, yeah, where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. What is that? One word that had come to mind when we're looking at, so what's the end goal with this and what do I do with it is uh, integration of self. So a lot of times these, uh, the pendulums that we can swing on pull us further away from our own self because again, our defense mechanism, a lot of times when we experience trauma, we learn that it either our environment or our body, our mind is unsafe so mm -hmm. we're looking for some ways to reestablish some safety. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, that's true. And we know that in one of the biggest things with trauma healing is feeling safe in our body again and reclaiming some of our power. So integrating self. So instead of swinging the pendulum from either side, it's how do I stay in the middle and integrate my thoughts and my feelings and uh, be aware of my body to re-regulate myself because a lot of times when we swing from either side that's a continued state of dysregulation where we're trying desperately to re-regulate um, are we able to necessarily regulate uh i don't know yeah and I, I actually have a really good example of that i remember having this car accident i don't know how many years ago and it was bad one probably told i totaled the car and i remember that day when I finally came home, I got in bed and I laid in bed and watched TV for the rest of the night. Mm -hmm. I was trying to regulate the anxiety and mm -hmm. my body, but I was doing it by numbing it out. Yes. And that actually didn't work. Mm -hmm. I had to do verbal processing. I had to do some breathing. I had to activate my vagus nerve by taking a really powerful walk mm -hmm. to regulate the body but what my body did was what my child learned yes which was i don't know how to deal with a car accident as a child mm -hmm. so let me get in bed yes. and watch a lot of tv yes absolutely absolutely so that i was trying to regulate but i wasn't using good skills mm -hmm. no and a lot of times we'll find that of especially when when these things progress and we get um, in advanced stages of these things is my coping skills aren't working anymore so I need to up it 
So instead of um, having one beer to numb myself when I felt angry at work and that made me feel powerless, so instead of having one beer at night, now I'm drinking five beers. Now that's not helping me at all. Now I need to start doing a couple shots in there too. So how are we upping it? Oh, I'm feeling ambivalence. Uh, you know, one tattoo wasn't enough. I'm going to, you know, pierce my whole face. <laughs> Who knows what people are doing? <laughs> but again, we're, we're upping that because we find that it just simply doesn't work and we're suppressing things. Yes. So good. So good. So again, when we're talking about integration of self, it's the unsuppressing of things. It's the recognition of it. And it's the goal to name the emotion that triggered that initial response. What triggered the powerlessness? What triggered the ambivalence? What triggered the contempt? How do I name that and sit with it and process that part and learn how to feel safe in my body and my mind with that emotion that made me feel so very unsafe? Yeah. Does that help everyone? Hopefully it does. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So yeah, it's just naming it and understanding what the purpose of it is so that we can do a healthy coping mechanism. And a lot of times we find even just piggybacking off of our last um, podcast and what you were just saying of like, oh, how did my inner child respond to that? How do we go back and um, while we're sitting in it, what do I need right now? Mm-hmm. And how do I meet my own needs? So what am I thinking? What am I feeling? What's going on? How do I name it? How do I understand my need? How do I meet my need? Ooh, look at you. That's good. I felt like that was a lot. <laughs> I feel like that was a laundry list. That is a list. That that was complicated. Uh, <laughs> perhaps you're feeling a little powerlessness and needed to bring control to it. <laughs> Okay. And one of the things I want to say about our socials is they match what we're doing with the podcast. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's a benefit to us, to all the listeners, that if you're listening to our podcast, you should be following our socials because we expand on a lot more things on the socials tied to the very topics that we do our podcasts on. Thanks so much for watching, guys, and listening. Thank you. For more information, visit our website, wellspringssolutions.com, which is linked in our show notes, along with any downloads or resources from today's episode. If you have any questions, feel free to DM us on social media and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Wellspring Solutions. Original music featured in this episode is by Christopher Burkholder.